This is Charlotte Jane Baldonado. Yeah. Robert and Haley's new little daughter. Ooh, I thought she was going all over me there for a second. Yep, there she goes. <laughs> it's okay. Look. Look. Precious. You look cute today. Father, it's a, it's a special thing to hold Charlotte this morning uh, because we know how valuable life is. And to be here today, to know that uh, Robert and Haley are going to teach her about Jesus and that she's going to grow up hearing about you is a special thing. And just as Luke said in his prayer today that we can teach her about her identity in you someday when she comes to know you as Savior and Lord. And so today we trust you with Charlotte. Trust you that uh, you'll take care of her, protect her. Thank you for putting her in the Baldonado home. That they're going to love her and take care of her. And I pray as a church that we're able to do the same thing, that we can encourage Robert and Haley. So today, we give thanks for this incredible new life, Charlotte Jane. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's pretty awesome. She's perfect. Robert says she's perfect. It's awesome. She's perfect because she didn't throw up on me. It's perfect. Oh, my. Uh, what a week, right? Praying for the church. You're praying for the church, right? Hello? Anybody out there? I hope you're praying for one another. And uh, just praying for... Lord, I just pray for the First Baptist Sutherland in Texas right now. As they are meeting and... The only thing that they've got is you. And so I pray that you would just give them a peace today. That you would just comfort them, comfort their family, comfort the pastor who even lost his daughter. And protect this, this body. Protect this group. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, where we left off last week, I'm going to grab a chair real quick. Where we left off last week was at the end of Luke chapter 11. And I told you to read the end of it, but then this week I thought, no, I need to go back and pick up the end of chapter 11. I'll get to chapter 12 eventually. So, uh, we left you with where Charlotte is. Haley and Robert, I have uh, bad news and good news. Is that when Charlotte was born, she was born spiritually dead. In other words, she was disconnected from God. And it wasn't because of anything that Charlotte did, it was because of what Adam did. Because of what Adam did, it was passed on 
to us, and so we are all born with a sinful nature. Nobody's going to teach Charlotte how to do bad things. It's going to be natural for her. Right? And then that's like the first stage that we talked about. Then the second stage was she comes to church and she hears religion. She hears about Jesus. She hears about things. And just as many as of you have done, you've come to church and you've, you've come to know Christ. Well, actually, you just hear about it. That's the third stage is that you realize you need a Savior and that Jesus is that Savior. And you say, I believe. Let me say this real clear. To have salvation, to be a believer, to be a new creation, to be a child of God, to be accepted, to be holy, to be redeemed, simply means that you believe Jesus is the Savior and the Messiah. That's it. You may have been told that it was coming forward and filling out a form and saying a prayer. You may have been going through a class, something learn how to become a Christian. I don't know what it is, but the, the truth of the matter is because Abraham believed God credited him righteousness. That goes all the way back to Genesis. All right? That was before the Ten Commandments. It was before the law. It was before the cross. But now we're after the cross. Jesus has died on the cross. When his blood was poured out, it forgave all sin. There's nothing else that can be done to make you better than you already are, just as Luke said here this morning. I'm not talking about your behavior. I'm talking about you personally. That's you, the person. Now, you didn't know that when you said, I believe. So then you come to a place and you hang out in this community and people start teaching you about your identity and you go, this is pretty cool. I am perfect, holy, redeemed child of God. And you learn that and you know that. And you say, I've got to work on my behavior. I've got to work on my behavior. I've got to get things right. I've got to make good choices, everything else. And then there's this final, final stage final stage where you go well number four is not even working for me I can't even get my behavior right good news there's number five Jesus says when you're done trying I'd be happy to live this life for you and you can just rest in me I will literally live your life for you if you just let me we're going to talk today a little bit about what that looks like because whenever you say that whenever you say uh, you need to live in Sabbath rest people go well what does that look how do you get uh, what does that look like so all week you get those questions how, how do you you know I wish I could say that I, I lived in Sabbath rest 100% of the time. <laughs> I wish I could say I was at number five all the time, but I'm not. I, sometimes I even go back and, uh, to number three. 
and forget my identity occasionally because the evil one wants to tell me I'm something else. So I keep going three, four, five, three, four, 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 five, five, four. It's kind of where I am. I'm just being honest with you. But today we pick up at the end of chapter 11, verse 41, where we left off. It says, he, he, he's literally meeting with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones that wrote this book right here. I found it. The Mishnah. This is like oral tradition. This, this book is expensive. You know, it's hard to get this book. And there, there is uh, 840 pages. 840 pages of law that the Pharisees added to God's law. Like they take this and this and they combine it together and they say, this is how you have salvation is that you obey this. Now granted, granted, I'll give you this and this is the problem with the church. This is the problem with the church, okay? Is... The Old Covenant says you're supposed to live under the law. You're supposed to live under the Ten Commandments. I get that. But then that whole Old Covenant, Hebrews says it became obsolete because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm no longer under the Old Covenant. I'm under a New Covenant. And the New Covenant says, see, I told you you couldn't do this. So I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to go on the cross and I'm going to die for you. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be raised again, and I'm going to sit by my Father, and we're going to send the Spirit down, and He's going to take up residence inside of you, and you have the opportunity to let that Spirit live your life for you. And this, well, Jesus didn't even do this, because this was written by man. That was by God. So he's got all the people that have this memorized sitting around him. That's where we are. And Jesus says, But give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees. Pharisees was almost like a bad name, but they, they liked it because it was a title. You give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. In other words, they did all the tithing, but they didn't help with those that were in need. He says, Woe to you Pharisees! You love the front seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. In other words, you're full of pride because you want to be seen. Uh, if, you're, if you're worried about tithing, I'm talking to you. If you're worried about tithing on the gross or the net, Uh, or you're worried about how others might view 
you and things are important to you, I'm telling you right now, just kind of zoom out a little bit. Don't be so focused on that. There's a bigger picture to this thing. In other words, you can sit here and you can try to fix your finances. You can sit here and try to fix your marriages. You can try to fix your kids. And you can really try to keep things in order. But what I'm saying to you right here is zoom out a little bit. There's a bigger picture. And we're about to unpack it right here. He says, woe to you. You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. He says to the Pharisees that there are holes in the ground and you're the hole in the ground. And people just inadvertently walk into that grave. They fall into it. And what's inside a grave? A dead body, a corpse. And if you go back to Numbers, if you go back to Numbers... It says anybody that touches a corpse, a dead body, is ceremonially unclean, and they have to go through a ceremony for like seven days to get clean. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you're nasty. You're dirty. Like, you're teaching something totally different than what I've taught. In fact, you're teaching religion you're you're teaching something that is more than what my father wanted you to teach he's like you're causing people to fall into holes and die your whole religion thing, your whole faith thing is too muddy. I promise you, people that are sitting right out here, if you meet religious people, your lives will never be changed. I said, I said to a waitress this week, I'm not a religious person. And she looked at me because she knows me well. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, I love Jesus. I'm passionate about Jesus, but I'm not a religious person. And she wasn't tracking with me. And I'm like, next time I'm in here, you ask me and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Like, if you meet a person that Luke was describing here, if you meet a person that's living their life by another, I promise you that you will be forever changed because it will be Christ living in you. There's a big difference. I'm not talking, I'm not talking salvation. Well, let's get this straight. I believe for a person to be saved is just like I've already described, that you have to believe. What I am talking about is what happens after that belief 
Like, I really believe when Jesus said, I came that you might have life and might have it to the fullest, that I can do that right now. I don't have to die and go to heaven to live life to the fullest. That I can honestly live that to the fullest right here on the face of the earth in the midst of all the crisis that's going on around me. That's crazy. I'm watching people get killed and sexually harassed and all that's going on right around me yet Jesus says I can have a full abundant life right here so let's pause in the passage right here and break this down because if there's anything uh, that you guys probably question more is how does that happen what's that look like I said and I say it quite often, uh, probably as a impact and influence off my friend Bob Warren, is that I live my life by another. What is the another? It's Jesus. It's Jesus and me and me and Jesus. That's how I, li- I, tr- I, I literally try to live my life. Like if this is me talking right now, you're in trouble. I literally believe that the Spirit's working through me at this point. And if it's not, you guys need to find another place to hang out on Sundays. And the only reason I say that is because that's what Jesus said. I live my life by the Father. Jesus said, all the things that you saw me do, I didn't do those. My Father did that through me. I submitted to the Father. I'm submitting to the Spirit in me right now. And then uh, one of the questions that's always asked is if I'm living my life by another, if I'm just letting the Spirit live my life, is do I have a choice? Do I make choices? That's a crazy question, right? Of course I make choices. I make choices every hour. I, Rusty the person, make choices. Yet I'm living my life by another. What I know, based upon 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verse 15, says this. It says the spiritual person. That's me. I'm a spiritual person. Remember what Luke said, is that when you see me, you see me wholly redeemed. You're looking at the spiritual person of who I am. My spiritual person is eternal. This, this fabulous body that you see right here is going into the ground someday. It's... It's my earth suit. It becomes worm food. It's going back into the ground. But my spiritual person that I am is eternal, right? It's eternal. And that's who he's referring to. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. Like, nobody's going to judge me, although they do. I'm not concerned about it. But for eternity's sake, no one's going to judge me. I know that because of Romans 8, 1 that says, For now, those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So nobody's judging me. It says, verse 16, For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we, we, the spiritual people, have the mind of Christ. Hello? 
<laughs> you sitting right here can think and process just like Jesus. <laughs> That's incredible. Like, you can pick this up and you can read it and you can process it and you can figure it out and you can understand it. You have the same spirit that I have living in me that's in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You now have the mind of Christ. That's what happened when you believed. Your old heart was taken out. You had a new heart put in. You have the mind of Christ. You're, you're holy. You're redeemed. That's who you are. Can I think like Christ? Hello? Absolutely, I can think like Christ. Do I have the ability to live like Christ? I sure do because the Spirit lives inside of me. Do I always live like Christ? <laughs> Luke, I saw that. Mm, no, because I make choices. And sometimes I make bad choices. Sometimes I choose to live by my flesh. I, call me pastor, call me director, call me leader, whatever you want, make bad choices. And there's logical consequences that come with that. Paul said, Christ is my life. Like, it's no longer Paul that's living. He wasn't working for Christ. That's what religion teaches. He wasn't working for Christ. He was simply enjoying Christ. Like, I believe that we're here today just to hang out with Jesus and enjoy Him. Just to enjoy Him. And then you get those other verses. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, 2. People get tripped up on that says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Now, it says, be an imitator of Christ. Be an imitator of God. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, it says, be an imitator of Christ. Uh, I forget where it says, but it says, uh, be holy as he is holy. How's that even possible? Like, you got that law, but this is God's law. Anybody in here, like, perfectly live out God's law so far? Anybody? Hello? No hands? Didn't think so. Watch this. Who's the only person that was able to live out the law perfectly? Jesus. I love that answer. Jesus was the only one to be able to live out the law. So, look, if he says, be imitators of God, be imitators of the Father, be imitators of Christ, it's impossible for me to live it out perfectly. But, look what it says. As dearly loved children, walk in love as Christ also loved. How, how do I imitate God? I let the Spirit live in me. That's the way that I imitate God. There's no perfection that is like 
causing me to be tripped up here. It's me, the person, that's perfect. My behavior is being worked on. And here's the crazy thing is, if you trust it, I believe God will do incredible things. So, we become perfect imitators by living the law perfect, impossible, but we do it through Christ. Let, let's say that you're able to change your behavior. All right? This is, the, this is the issue that everybody struggles with. It's the behavior issue, right? Let's say that you're able to change your behavior. There's two ways to change your behavior. And I believe that most in, in uh, this room have tried at least number one. What, what is one way to change your behavior? Somebody just shoot something out there. Yeah, Matt. Self-help. <laughs> like a book? Like a book? Or just the ability for you to change it yourself? self-restraint that you're going to do this thing in your own power and you know what some of you in this room are highly disciplined I said some <laughs> some in this room are highly disciplined and you're capable of doing things for long periods of time But I guarantee you, you won't be able to change your behavior forever in your own strength. I promise you. So that only leaves the other way. The only other way for you to change your behavior is for you to quit trying. You ever hear that in a counseling session? Huh? Quit trying to change your behavior. Be imitators of Christ. Trust the Spirit in you. Like, whatever it is you're dealing with, you've struggled with it for years, you're still struggling with it, whatever. I truly believe, call me foolish, but I truly believe what the Word says and that God can absolutely remove that temptation from your life. I believe it. I don't think you can do it. I think you can try all you want. But I believe that he can absolutely remove that temptation. Like, supernaturally, he will take that from you. And it comes when you learn to live your life by another source. Christ in you. So then there's the question is, how do you overcome temptation? You're not going to do that in your own strength. You're just going to wait for God to do it. So you're, Rusty, you're, you're saying something. I, you're right, I am. 
but I believe it. You just have to trust it. There's already been a heart change. You just have to trust the heart change. Do I make choices? Look at this, Romans chapter 6. For my my high school students, uh, we got right up to this point last Wednesday night, and so you guys can listen to this, and it's going to hopefully make sense to you. But Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says this, For we know, no being a choice, right? Like, you, you can either walk and do your own thing, or you can read this Bible and figure this thing out. It's your choice. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is free from sin. Let me remind you of something real quick. When you believe that Jesus was your Messiah, Galatians 2.20 says this, For I, Paul saying it, referring to all believers, For I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, Christ lives in me. Basically, everything I've said this morning. So when you believed, you were crucified. You died. When Charlotte comes to understand Jesus as her Savior, that old sinful nature that she's got is going to die. Haley, don't worry right now because I believe that God loves your child and she's going to take care of your child. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. But at some point, she's going to grow up and realize that she's a sinner and that she needs a Savior. And you guys are going to teach her that, and we're going to teach her that. But until that point, I believe she's good as gold. Relax. We were all born in a sinful nature. Something in you died at Calvary. You were like jettisoned back the moment that you believe and you died and it was your old sinful nature. Right? The question I'm asking you is this. What died? Something had to die when you were crucified with Christ. Right? It's not just a statement that Paul's making. Something in you had to die. And it says right there, your old self was crucified. With him, with Christ. He took, he took it all and he dealt with it one time. Now watch this, I make a second choice. Jump down four verses in verse 11, it says, So you too consider. Consider means I have a choice. I either like consider it or I don't consider it. And Paul's saying, you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, that temptation that is like messing with you, you're dead to it. If you have an old sinful nature that's, that's died and has been totally removed from you, there's not a battle going on between two natures. That nature's gone. You're a new person. You're a new creation. 
And now you just have to live in that. That you're a new creation. Sometimes you just need the people tell you every week, every hour, every minute, you're a new creation. You're holy. You're redeemed. You're holy. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. And watch this. I have a third choice. Romans 6.13 says, And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But those who are alive from the dead offer... Look, you have a choice. You get to offer. That's your choice. It says, But as... But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Are you righteous? I got one yes on the second row. Hello. Are you righteous? Absolutely you are because of what Christ did on the cross. He made you righteous. Now he's like saying, hey, just offer yourself up. You want to live in this? It's already done deal. Done all this for you. You're going to choose to do this. I've already made you righteous. Just live in it. If you live in your righteousness, it's hard to make bad choices. So now we have to learn to live in our righteousness. And I tell you this, Paul says this. This is a verse that gets messed up all the time. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. I got people that tell me all the time, I can't ever ask Jesus into my heart because I've done some terrible things. And You know what the scripture says? There ain't anything that you've done that hadn't already been done before. Like whatever you're doing, there's nothing new. And, 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 and the crazy thing is this, is if you believe that, that your sin is much bigger than what Jesus did on the cross, that's a pride issue. Which is probably all of our issues. It's a pride issue because I I believe that when my Savior Jesus died on the cross and his blood was poured out, it not only covered every sin, but it forgave every sin except for that of unbelief. The unbelief that Jesus is the Messiah, which he's standing there before the Pharisees saying, I'm the Messiah and you don't believe it. Every other sin is covered and forgiven at the cross, but that one. You just have to believe. Everything else is covered. You're not doing anything new under the sun. And it says this. No temptation has seized you. It doesn't own you. It doesn't control you. You have died to sin. It says, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. People take that verse and they twist it and say, God won't give you anything more than you can handle. That is such a lie. First of all, 
I don't believe that, that God's going to give you tragedy. God loves you. You live in a sinful world. And if sinful, evil things are happening, it's not because God's doing it. Remember, there's an opposite to God. There is an evil source. Blame him, not God. And God says this. You got the spirit in you. Whatever the devil throws your way, whatever it is, I got this. Trust me. I got this. You just have to trust me. You have the ability to overcome sin. You have the ability to live in number five every day of your life. Just to have Sabbath rest and just to say, okay, God, I can't do this. I've tried. Oh, I've tried. I need you to just do this in me and just breathe. And then it says, he closes out. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us too. <laughs> That's funny. You ins- of course he's insulting you. you. You've accused him of blasphemy, of doing things under the power of the devil. Of course he is. Then he said, Woe also to you experts in the law, you lawyers. You load people with burdens that are, that are hard to carry. They can't do that. You crazy? They can't do this. You can't, you can't even do this. Woe to you, Pharisees. He says, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. You don't even do that. Woe to you, you build tombs for the prophets and your fathers killed them. Therefore you are witnesses that you approve the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their monuments. In other words, he's saying, you're in agreement with what your Jewish fathers did which was to kill kill my prophets. The people that were te- telling the truth to you. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them will kill and persecute. Guess what? John the Baptist just died. Jesus' friend just died. So that right there is a true statement. So that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Zechariah chronologically was the last prophet of the Old Testament. Who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. He's like saying, all you Pharisees that don't believe that I'm the Messiah, you like your fathers, you're responsible for all the prophets that were persecuted and died. I'm holding you responsible. Yes, and they're looking at him going, he's crazy. He says, yes, I tell you, 
This generation will be held responsible. Woe to you experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves and you hindered those who were trying to go in. That hurts. When I read that right there, because for the long time I taught law. For, I did youth ministry for 15 years. And 11, 11 of those years I taught law. And I expected the kids to behave a certain way. And I would put them in spiritual headlocks. Occasionally a physical headlock. Literally, I would, I would punish these kids. I would hold back my love from them because of their behavior. Because I expected them to be a certain way. And now, oh, since, since I see this thing totally different, I wish, I just wish I could go back and reteach what I taught. I wish I could just take it all back. Because I felt like I took something from them. If I caused them to live under the law and they say, I don't want that, it's painful. But I know this. My father's not going to condemn me. I trust the Spirit with those kids. Religion's never going to change one's heart. All religion does is it try to conform people in their behavior, and that's impossible. Most of you have already experienced that. In fact, I go this far and say religion will kill you. I'm not a religious person. It says, when the he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely, like Jesus walked away and they're getting all up in arms. And to cross-examine him about many things, they were lying in wait for him to trap him in something he said. That's not the first time that they did that. They were constantly looking for ways to trap Jesus. Alright. Took a little time this morning to unpack what it means to be in Sabbath rest. What I've learned as a leader is not to put you in headlocks. The only thing I can do, two things. One is I'm going to love you just like you are. And two, I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray not only for my friends, but for myself, that we can understand Sabbath rest. And then we can just hang out in that number five all the days of our life, and that we can just enjoy you. And, and even the fact that we understand that we're forgiven, that we can forgive those around us. God, give us that Give us that ability to forgive those that are even sitting right next to us. Thank you for that love 
and the ability in your spirit to do it in us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.